1: And we truly believe that labeling competencies like leadership, teamwork, and communication as soft devalues and minimizes the importance of these skills. And one of the strong skills that we teach is what we call Shift Your Mind. And the teachings come from my book, which came out in October of 2020. If you enjoyed today's conversation or any of our past guests, then know you're going to love the book. You can head over to Amazon or anywhere books are sold to purchase, and you can even listen to the audiobook via Audible. I was first introduced to Craig Wiley a number of years ago when I was starting my journey in executive coaching. And the people that told me about Craig spoke about his integrity, his ability to think strategically and help them as their executive coach. And when we connected years ago, he was awesome. He was authentic. He was genuine. He had a clear vision for where he wanted to take his company. And it's really cool to reconnect with him today and check in on where he's at and where the company has gone. So a bit about Craig. He is the CEO and founder of Transcend, a company that helps to transform C-suite leaders and their businesses. And he's been doing this for over two decades as an executive coaching expert and business strategy thought leader and he really does live in those two spaces. He lives in almost this consultant, strategy thought leader space and we get into that in today's conversation and also this executive coaching space. And ultimately he's really passionate about driving continual innovation through what they have determined to be the best practice and the best solutions necessary to advance leadership within organizations. And one of the key themes of today and one of the things that we talk about quite a bit and Craig really brings to today's conversation is this ability for an organization to focus on their enterprise first rather than last. And a lot of organizations focus on their enterprise last, which is quite backwards when you think about the purpose of a business. So when he works with organizations, he helps them align their values, their purpose, their mission to whatever it is that they're doing at the enterprise level. Then they go from there to the team, and then it filters down to the individual. So that's the crux of a lot of our discussion today, and he has so much more to offer that I'm so excited to share him with you. So here is Craig Wiley. Greg, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Resilient, it is a word that you mentioned in our pre-call just now. And then over your left shoulder on the wall, I'm testing my eyes because they are (laughs) they're being strained. But I, I would pass an eye exam because there are four words that I can read. And if I'm reading it wrong, you can jump in. But over Craig's left shoulder are the words fearless, strategic able and resilient and i would imagine those are values of some sort for your organization but maybe we pull off the first layer and talk about resilience and and why that's something that you have on your wall and why that is something that you find is valuable and important for executive leaders to lean into.
0: Yeah absolutely i'm so excited to be with you today brian and um you know, you're starting off with something I'm unbelievably passionate about, which is this concept of resilience. And every single day when we're working with executives, uh, they are being pushed and pulled in unbelievably dynamic ways, right? And so you take this immense pressure of leading organizations in a really volatile time, and then you layer over the top of that that you're an executive and, and your community looks different and your community is much smaller. And then if you're a CEO, you really don't have a community in your business. Uh, You know, resilience plays a role. And how we see that showing up is through a new mindset around how we view resilience, which is resilience is about the accumulation of what you can do with people in a community in business versus resilient around the individual just trying to grind it out and endure the challenges that are ahead of them. And so the the notion of resilience, I think, looks different and people view it different. Um, we are g- coming from a progressive view of resilience, which is how does resi- resilience show up as a community in business and as a community in leadership?
1: It's interesting you went to community. We, our organization, we talk about resilience as grit. Sort of plus agility multiplied by growth mindset. So we created a formula, grit being Angela Duckworth's definition, passion and perseverance for long term goals. And perhaps that's more of that grind it out, like stay with it, stick to itiveness. And then there's this agility piece that I think we don't talk about enough when it comes to resilience, which is finding another way, innovating, being nimble, being flexible. We think that's a part of resilience. Then we, we say it's multiplied by a growth mindset because if you have a growth mindset, then you're interested in learning, developing, improving, and that way the resilience will serve you. I will say we, we did not consider the team or the organization or, to use your word, community when we were thinking about resilience. So let's double-click on this word community and why is it that you think that's so essential to the definition of resilience?
0: Brian, I love what you're talking about. You think of those three elements. Now think of those three elements applied to a group of people instead of an individual. So imagine a community of executives or a community of leaders inside a company that have a shared growth mindset right? or that have this agility around how they approach work and how they drive innovation or collaboration in an organization or how they love to learn and what they learn about. And so we think about individual performance and we think about team performance, but then we also think about how does an enterprise perform? Enterprise as an entity. And so we think about resilience through the lens of a community that is resilient in unison. That is when you begin to get competitive advantage And that's when you get stability and scalability in organizations.
1: It's interesting. When I first started learning about Angela Duckworth's work on grit, I did come to a conclusion that one of the pieces that was missing was the team. And so I even created this acronym, great resolve in team. And so we see this in sports and I spent a lot of time with sports teams. They had gritty individual athletes, but those same gritty individual athletes would sometimes play what's called hero ball in basketball. They would come down and and shoot a shot from far away, or at the end of the game, they try to do it all by themselves rather than making the right pass to the right player at the right time and not having resolve in the person next to them. And so you're making me also think about that period where I really looked at grit in from a team standpoint, but you just took it one level further And to use a business term, you use use the word enterprise. And as I'm thinking about that, I'm wondering, how do we turn the wheel of an enterprise? How do we shape an enterprise so that it comes from the enterprise, perhaps down to the team, to the individual? What does that even look like to start at the enterprise level to impact the resilience of an entire organization in their culture?
0: Man, it's this this could be a series of like nine podcasts <laughs> because it's it's such a powerful topic that that I'm passionate about and our teams are passionate about um but but it looks like creating that common grit around something that matters more than the individual or the teams in isolation And so you start to talk about this, purpose principle, right? And then you start to talk about this principle around progress. You know, people love engaging in things that are difficult when it's meeting a bigger purpose, and they love engaging in really difficult things when they can make progress and they have the resources and the supports to make the progress. So as an enterprise, the, the object of an enterprise and creating a Brazilian enterprise is to have the enterprise be delivering and driving the purpose and the resources uh, and the interconnection to allow people to perform as a unit there. So we spend a lot of time talking about <laughs> the highest functioning organizations are exactly what you said, Brian. Enterprise first, team second, individual third. It doesn't mean that those things are less important if it's third or second, as far as like the individual or team, they're equally as important, but the focus of how everybody walks through the door every single day has to be enterprise first, team second, individual third. So if we can create a purpose that's greater than the individual, that's greater than a team around if they sacrifice together, when they sacrifice together, they achieve something greater. That is the enterprise purpose. And so we, in building the highest performing teams and individuals, instantly think about how do we reshape how the enterprise functions?
1: Hmm. It's, I've spent so much time working with individuals. And then I've spent so much time working with teams. I don't think I've spent a lot of times shaping the enterprise. And I almost hear it as like inside out versus outside in, whether that's right or wrong. And so much of my background in coaching and psychology, and I know you have a similar background in some ways, is from the inside out. And as I hear you talk, I'm thinking about, well, we actually need to focus on outside of ourselves, and then we can get inside of ourselves. And first of all, I is that a framework that resonates with you? Oh, let's start there, and then I have many more questions around how the heck do you do it?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're twisting my mind, right? When you're asking those questions, because it's it's totally true, and it and it depends on I think how you think about how you think about it. If you're thinking about individual performance and in isolation, um, you know, this inside out approach is unique. But when you start to think about how an individual functions within a team or a community or a business, we know that people are driven by impact. People are also driven by connection. And people are driven by this really strong purpose where, When they achieve something greater with people, it feels better than achievement in isolation because you're going through it together. So in order to do that, there has to be some type of construct that's external that we can align to and say, if that's the construct, and I believe in the construct, and the construct is motivating me, and I'm passionate about it, and I think it's a good use of my talents and skills How do I begin to adapt to deliver for that versus just thinking about my own individual delivery in isolation? Uh, And I think we have, unfortunately, in business today, we have a lot of people who are coming from an inside-out perspective. uh, And we have teams that are coming from an inside-out perspective where you have large organizations and the teams are so focused on what does this mean for us that they're not thinking about the larger enterprise. And and the sad part of that is, so therefore, as an enterprise, we don't have maximum growth, maximum innovation that actually allows these teams and individuals to achieve unbelievable things beyond what they could even imagine. Instead, they're focusing within the box and they might be the best performers within the box, but they're not performing outside of that box.
1: I think we can use the two of us as guinea pigs for today. And the reason I think that is because one of the reasons that I was connected with you, you've worked with many people that I have a ton of respect for one-on-one as a coach. Yes. And when we connected, you said, Brian, I only work with a small amount of group of people. And then I have the rest of my time where I'm really building our enterprise. I'm building my company and our organization. And I need the space and time to build the organization. And I would imagine if we turned the mics off and we were to have a conversation right now, I would be like, all right, Craig, tell me how it's going. What's going on (laughs) with it? Because for me in my world, and, and you're in a similar world, we're in the service industry more so than a product. It's really hard to scale. And it's really hard to create systems and processes beyond person who starts the enterprise, so to speak. And I'll, I will be transparent. I have said, you know what? Let's focus less on the enterprise and more on Brian Levinson, LLC, and let me do good work. And then hopefully that will create more work. And it's really way more of an inside out approach. And that doesn't mean we don't have a mission and our values and philosophy. And we spend time on that stuff and a vision. But the truth is, I've really taken it as a solopreneur. And then from that space, if I can help bring others with me, I am thrilled to do so. And I've been fortunate to do some of that. But I haven't approached my own business in the way that we're talking about. And so I want to shine a light on you and find out, all right, you've got those words on the wall. Uh, you've got mm-hmm. a name of your company, which is Transcend, which is a really cool word. How are you doing this in your organization, focusing on the enterprise and then going to the team and then the individual? Maybe we just use you as an example rather than yeah, for sure. Apple or, or Sony or some random company. Let's focus on Transcend and, and talk to us about what that looks like for you.
0: Yeah. And I think I think that's the beauty of, you know, doing what we do is we get to go out and help people achieve things. And then we also have to put those things into practice ourselves. And so I love this turn the table and like, let's see how it works inside Transcend because we invest a ton of time and energy being an enterprise first uh, company, um, but also uh, thinking about the future of our business while we're delivering the tactics of today. And so that last part is really important. So when, when you are thinking at an individual or team level, And you might have like a business strategy, right? Um, You're thinking about what are the tactics like in the different verticals of the organization or tactics within individuals that we can go get some traction around to drive growth. Um, That is phenomenal business practice in lots of ways because you are controlling your near term deliverables uh, and risks and you're going out there and you're driving near term growth. But if we want to begin thinking about transcend as an enterprise, we have to have an enterprise vision. And that enterprise vision has to be bigger than what we can achieve over a short period of time. Uh, And that enterprise vision has to have goals and parameters. And I would also say norms around how we operate. So when we're making decisions today and near term, we're actually building capability and capacity for the larger enterprise vision down the road. And so we're not making decisions in isolation about now. We're making decisions in isolation about in the now that will benefit us in the long run. So to do that, we have to invest differently. Um, We have to have our players inside the organization care as much about uh, delivering for our clients and exceeding their expectations Uh, But they have to care as much about that as they do the future vision of Transcend. And they got to put in extra time behind the scenes to build the capabilities and the capacity for what the enterprise is going to need down the road. And then we also have to think about how we compensate individuals, right? Because if we're compensating around just individual or team performance and we don't have an enterprise element to that, we're reinforcing individual and team performance behaviors that sometimes might not necessarily align with growing the strongest, most innovative, most collaborative enterprise. And so it stems all of those areas, right? From strategy to daily execution, uh, to how we compensate. But as a leader and the CEO of Transcend, what it means for me is I have to be really good at managing long range strategy, that's enterprise strategy, with our business growth strategy for the year. Uh, and and I honestly struggle with that at times and the leaders we work with struggle with that at times, but that's the formula to build an exceptional enterprise.
1: Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. I wrote down on my in my notes, I often write notes as we're talking to think about other threads to pull on. And I wrote down incentives and you hit on that. Hey, we need to incentivize them to put the enterprise first. And then I wrote consequences. And we've all seen individual contributors that are great tactically, like you were saying. And they go in and they do a great job. But they may not be moving toward the future, to use your Mm -hmm. word, or they may not be doing what's in the best interest of the enterprise. And I'll just use sports as an example. The amount of teams I've worked with consulted to that have an individual who is talented and can help them win today, but hurts them in winning tomorrow. And that push pull is really hard for sports organizations. And it's even harder because they have these things called fans and fans want to <laughs> win today. Like they just want to win today. And it's very, very hard for fans to fall in love with a long-term vision or strategy or future. And it's not really their job. They're fanatics. They're they're supposed to just want to win today. And so can you just hit on this a little bit more? And we don't have to use sports, but I just think it, you can see it in sports, but it exists in every organization. What do we do with the individual who helps us win today but doesn't necessarily help the enterprise uh, win tomorrow, so to speak? What do we do with those people?
0: Well, I, th- I think there's there's two things. First off, um, you have to be unbelievably proactive, meaning that as as a coach, in the example you're talking about in sports, or as a CEO, as a leader of a company, we have to be talking about the bigger meaning and the bigger purpose than this week's game, right? Or this quarter's deliverables. Uh, so a lot of our messages around where we're going long term and how our near-term performance helps us get there. So if a leader is really focused on near-term and that's all they talk about, I think you're more susceptible to this player that can perform in the immediate but might be detrimental. So you got to be proactive and you got to be visionary as a coach, right? Um, And we're seeing some great examples of that uh, in the NFL recently with teams that, you know, had unbelievable losing records, and and now they're competing. You know, for a slot in a Super Bowl because they have a bigger vision of team and what that looks like. Um, you know, the the second element I would say is you, there does need to be a consequence element around behavior and performance that is not conducive to a highly functioning enterprise. Um, I think there's there's two things that have to happen. The first one is that there needs to be a culture around that individual that is more powerful than an individual that is trying to support the long range vision. And so that person is not reinforced uh, in their behavior and their behavior is actually uh, it's treated as a distraction, not just by the CEO or the coach, but by everyone like, hey, you need to get on board to be in this locker room or nobody wants you on board, right? So it has to be a community type element. Um, There is this whole second piece around how um, enterprise behavior is table stakes. And I've worked with all sorts of executives that have really high performers in let's say certain verticals like sales or in technology. And they believe they need this individual to the 10th degree Um, but the reality is, is that their impact across the enterprise is degrading innovation or degrading, uh, collaboration. And so this executive has to be able to take the stand to say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to believe in the people around this individual more than the individual themselves. And so they're going to have to make decisions like setting that player down, even though that player might be able to deliver the first down or the win that day. If the coach is playing the long game, they got to have the courage to make the really tough decision. And then the last thing I'll I'll share, Brian, and, and I'll be quick on this one, is that we also have to have opportunities for impact. Meaning that we tend to get isolated individualistic behavior or individualized team behavior, when there is not a clear opportunity to participate at the next level and have impact at the next level. And so while we wanna have a corrective action for those that aren't participating, as a CEO, I'm thinking about how do I give people more influence and more impact on a bigger stage um, to where they get out of their individual and team focus.
1: I'm working with a company right now and we just put out a survey to try to get a sense of their culture. And you use the word culture, so I'm going to bring that into the forefront here. And we were talking about it, and I do 360s all the time for individual leaders. But a culture 360 and thinking about the culture or the enterprise as its own entity. So we often look at the CEO and we think, oh, that's that's the person we really need to get going but there's another you mentioned at the beginning that being a ceo sometimes lacks community and it can be lonely well the other thing that's next to the ceo is the enterprise and it's not a person but it is a thing and i'm starting to be more and more convinced that we need to constantly assess for that thing to make sure are we aligned are we heading in the right direction and So often we assess just the people without assessing the thing. And that's why people are like, ah, culture, it's Mm -hmm. not a thing. I don't even know what you're talking about. It's just a word. It's just words (laughs) on a a wall. And great, you're fearless, you're strategic, you're able, you're resilient. Cool, cool, cool. Well, yeah, if we don't constantly assess what are we, who are we, what matters to us, why do we matter, then that thing will turn into its own Beast, and it's it's it is a living, breathing thing. Culture is not something that you have, and then it's just static. It evolves and it changes as an organization changes. And I think we often talk about culture wrong. We don't talk about it as this thing that, if we are intentional, we can move it, and if we're not intentional, it will move on its own. Uh, it's not, but it's not going to stay static do you all use like a culture 360 when you're trying to assess and then do you reassess to see where it is, where it's changing, where it's evolving? Cause to me, it, it always is just like a person, like a person we constantly are assessing. How can we get better? How can we improve? But we don't always spend time on the thing. At least I don't. And so what does it look like to work on the thing? Is it a 360 approach? How do you, how do you actually work on the thing?
0: Yeah. So uh, a couple couple pieces. You said something really important around how the CEO has the enterprise and the enterprise is the CEO's partner, which I think is a really great insight. And how we would approach that is we would say it's the CEO's sole job to ensure that they have a dynamic, innovative enterprise.
1: When you say sole, do you mean primary? Like first priority yes. is that what you mean by that
0: first first priority there's only one individual that is that is completely responsible for the oversight of the performance dynamic of the entire enterprise and that is the ceo and the ceo should be focused there now how they go about that in some ways is how we approach it right Um, You know, interesting thing about culture, we think about culture as a performance culture, meaning people want to roll out of bed every single day because they're doing big, meaningful things that have accountability to them, that if executed really well, change the lives of people, industries, consumers. And so that's what a high performing culture looks like, that people have impact, people have accountability. But it's not accountability from a top down. It's accountability that I'm signing up for something that is stretching me and evolving me because I'm raising my hand to do it because I'm so passionate about what we're trying to achieve, right? So that's like a performance culture. That's not the ping pong and, and, and beer at you know, four o'clock on a Friday. Um, obviously, relational connection is part of it, but you can be more effective at building that than through activities like that. And so how we go about it um, is we go in and we look at how the enterprise builds comprehensive strategy for the future and how it engages large swaths of people in the creation of it uh, and the implementation of it, and how the organization takes all of its training and resource dollars and puts it into the people that are actually developing and executing the strategy. So training and development is connected to success in the business performance, but it's also connected to the success of creating the future of the organization. So not only am I signing up to do something unbelievable, but I know you're putting your training and development dollars behind me signing up to do something unbelievable. Uh, and so I'm going to give resources to stretch myself to achieve something that enterprise hasn't achieved before. So when we go into organizations and we say, OK, mission, vision, values, do you have those in place? What's your long range strategy? Um, what what's your your what we call like business as usual or near term strategy? How are those two things interlinked? And then how do you engage your entire business community in a developing and executing both of those? Uh, Typically, what we see is strategy is something that sits on a shelf and it's dusty. Um, And it's something that's built by a very select few people. And then the executives that run business units are responsible to go talk about that and execute it. We think that is the history of business. We think progressive business actually engages robust dialogue, across lots of levels of the organization to build the future of the organization. Because when that happens, then people want to collaborate and innovate and sacrifice because they help create the narrative. So when we think of culture and we think of that thing, that thing is the enterprise um, actually driving the heartbeat of people in their daily work, but their longitudinal work as well.
1: Mm. I want to get, specific because i can speak sports and talk sports but i actually think for the sake of our listeners and for the sake of myself if we actually move away from sports and into for example a family-owned business and i hear incentives and i hear that we need to make sure people feel like they can make an impact and make a difference and, and have meaningful work but at the end of the day if you're a family-owned business there's only seats at the table well different family businesses operate differently, but let's just say I'm in a family business that has ownership amongst the family members. What do I do to try to get my people thinking about the enterprise if they don't have ownership and they don't have, and I'm talking about like equity. I should, I should make <laughs> that really specific. Like they don't have equity in the business. So you may bonus them on the enterprise, but that bonus is connected to lining the pockets of ownership. And I'm using family business, but this could exist. Mm-hmm. Any private equity, you do a lot in private equity. It could be there. It could be uh, publicly traded companies a little more complicated, but a privately owned company with five partners and, and you know even a law firm that has partners. So like, what do we do to... I understand why they want the enterprise to thrive, but what do we do to get that to trickle down to the team and the individual so that they're not thinking, of course you want us to line your pockets. Um, Mm -hmm. But what about us? Like what's, what have you seen work and not work when it comes to ownership and equity as it relates to focusing on the enterprise? Yeah. I mean, it's
0: a good question. And um I mean, there's so many different ways we could we could go about this and so I'll I'll, I'll do a couple the first thing is I think I think we over rotate on equity being a motivator for the masses um <clears throat> look human performance and in, in human psychology uh we know that uh people want to live a meaningful existence and they want to have impact and they want to feel good about what they do every single day
1: and be safe and, and be safe and secure and- right
0: yeah, absolutely. Right. And so if we're in a performance culture that is just incentivized via capital equity uh, and what you deliver this quarter over this quarter, over this quarter, over this quarter, you know, that's that might be an opportunity for some business performance, but that's not an opportunity to like get the most innovation, creation, collaboration out of all the human talent that's in the organization. And what we advocate is while you might be thinking you're driving exceptional business performance, you're actually leaving millions of dollars on the table because if you can, in a very strategic, structured way, engage the larger family business structure in creating the future of the organization and make a commitment uh, as the family business owner, that your number one job is to create the best professionals in their chosen fields and your second commitment is to help those individuals achieve something amazing that's beyond what they can achieve in isolation then you will outperform your quarter by quarter individual incentive team incentive business model hands down. And so for a family-owned business leader, I think I think there's three big questions that I would want to ask. The first one is do you actually want to become an enterprise? Meaning, what is your relevance as the family business owner and do you actually like being the center? And are you going to try and and maintain control being in the center? Or do you wanna create an enterprise by investing in capabilities and capacity to where what you created lives on for generations? I think that's the first question because there's a lot of family businesses that are driven by the dynamic of the family business gives me also, also power within my family. And so for me to move away from that means I'm not only giving up my professional and business power, but I'm giving away power within my family as well.
1: And so stay there Uh, for, I know there's two others, but stay there for a minute. So if I'm a family-owned business, we need to come to a conclusion on what we're trying to do here. Are we trying to make this live on beyond us and for future generations? Are we trying to exit this thing and maximize how much we can put in our own immediate family? Uh, But we need to get clear on the vision. Am I hearing that?
0: The vision for the business as an enterprise, right? And for sure. And as a family business owner, and we've talked a lot of them, you know, through YPO, uh, you know, a large, a large mass of our clients, the, the element is, are we spending so much time focused on the generations and who should get what, that we're not necessarily focused on what is the power of what we've created and what can it become? And could it serve a purpose even bigger? than uh, the current family structure, which is what we're focused on right now.
1: Uh,
0: And so that's, that's a dynamic that's there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think of that word enterprise, a lot of the family businesses that I work with don't want to be corporate. They have been able to make their bones and be successful by handshakes and relationships in their community. And obviously I'm generalizing. There's all kinds of different family businesses, but a lot of times family business goes up against the behemoth enterprise who's highly corporate and they're able to win business because of their relationships locally. And so I, does that word enterprise, when you bring that into a family business setting, Mm -hmm. do you get pushback on that word or are they embracing (laughs) that word?
0: Yeah, no, a- absolutely we do because um, when when people are saying like, hey, we don't want to be corporate, um, or you know, we like the culture we have here and how we're empowered to do our work, what they're really talking about is two things. They're talking about we we don't want more structure, but the other thing is also I don't want more accountability. Uh, and it seems to be working well as it is. So like, let's, let's leave it alone. Yeah. If it ain't
1: broke, broke, don't fix it. We've been doing this for a hundred hundred years. We've always had our processes and we're still going and yeah, it's hard to change. Like what, for for the sake of what?
0: For sure. And so when we think of enterprise, we don't necessarily think as, as far as like a ton of process, uh, we think of enterprise as like, the larger dynamic that allows everybody to function underneath it. So we, we were working with a $7 billion employee owned organization that didn't want to use the word enterprise because they thought their differentiator was that they didn't feel like the, a behemoth or an enterprise. Um, but the reality is, is that mindset and that mentality, um allowed them to be insulated in teams insulated in parts of the business to where they were actually leaving hundreds of millions to billions of dollars on the table because when you're an enterprise and you're thinking about how an enterprise functions first before a team or individuals you have to be willing to begin to lean into enterprise needs enterprise collaboration enterprise innovation, because it's an enterprise-first organization. So then that evolution creates new revenue streams, new opportunities, new efficiencies just naturally. And that's when you start to capture value creation. So that whole notion of we don't want to become an enterprise, whenever I hear that, I get really excited because I know there's probably hundreds of millions of dollars that's being left on the table.
1: I interrupted you when you were, you were only on your first bullet point. Um, so if you want to go to the next two, we can, but I, but there, once again, there's like very specific tangible examples that I have in my head. So I mentioned the family business and I mentioned private equity and I know you've done a lot of work in private equity and helping them figure out culture and look like, private equity for years would come in, clean some things up. I mean, that's a nice way of saying that. Like, look at look at ways that they could figure out how to make this thing more profitable. I don't think generally people would say people in private equity care about impact meaning purpose. I think most people would say about working for a company that was PE owned, yeah, they care about the bottom line. It's transactional, but maybe they're up front and we know what we're trying to do and they're trying to turn this thing and make a profit. And so like to me I'm fascinated by your work with private equity one because you can tell me if I'm wrong about that perception and then two I believe there people that are private equity the private equity owned people in this world are having a hard time in this market turning so they're mm-hmm. actually holding on to companies longer and what do they do? How do they operate? How do they think about enterprise? Are they thinking about it differently? So I want to like dive into that a little bit. And I have clients that are private equity owned, and uh, you know I, I have I know people that work in private equity, but it is a unique dynamic when I hear you talk about purpose and meaning and the enterprise. And then I think of private equity as caring about the enterprise, no question. But I'm not so sure that people that work for private equity would say, oh yeah, they really care about our purpose and our meaning and and all that other stuff. Uh so, so what's your <laughs> perspective uh in in that space? And I I may have just made a bunch of assumptions as well. So feel free to correct me. <laughs> in, in- no,
0: I think yeah. I think they're all pretty accurate, Brian. I mean, you and I walk in similar circles. I think, you know, the the most Im- important thing when we think about private equity is private equity is there to turn the maximum return on investment for its investors right for its fund investors and and then in the process it can also build an exceptional company that lives on well beyond the deal so if a private equity um, managing partner is serious about generating the highest return, then they would reevaluate how they go about creating uh, organic and inorganic growth inside the organization so private equity has a playbook and a model that they use regularly we've actually helped structure private equity firms so we we understand it well Um, but the the new model and it's what hbr article was talking about just last december is the private equity model is a little bit broken and the inefficiencies between the firm and the leaders within the company and the friction that exists there um, is reducing value and they're not tapping into the actual innovation and knowledge inside the organization that would actually create a lot of growth just through the organic nature of the business that they're not necessarily capturing cuz they do a lot of inorganic you know bolt-ons lean it down and then turn and sell it well that organization if you're buying it through private equity it's probably been undermanaged and underled in a lot of ways to maximize growth uh, maybe we would say that uh, organic growth and so if a, a firm can go in and understand how to crystallize a compelling strategy And engage large elements of the business against that right off the bat they'll have better retention better engagement they'll have better quarter over quarter performance Um, and then they'll also be scalable because the organizations begin to uh, operate within an ecosystem the model that's there now is i'm going to put in an operating partner And that operating partner is going to run the business and the business is going to run through that operating partner. Like, okay, I understand that. But the magnitude of growth is going to be delivered at the extent of that operating partner's capability and capacity and leadership, right? And what we're saying is there's a whole nother paradigm. Whereas if you have operating partners that understand how to take a company and make it enterprise first, team second, individual third, and understand just how to create the highest performing ecosystems for people to flourish, the PE company, the PE firm wins, right? And, and that's, that's going to be the change, um, and, and firms that embrace this at scale are going to have the highest performing funds, um, and, I don't think there's there's anybody that would argue that if you look at the, the literature around performance cultures in business. It's not like private equity exists in a vacuum. Um, and there's just a performance uh, model out there for private equity that doesn't need to account for uh, innovation in organic growth.
1: When I hear you talk, I hear so much polarity and I hear so much and. Even the work that you do, We coach and we strategize. And we can be tactics oriented and we can be future oriented. And there is this, even as you're describing the private equity piece, make no mistake, they exist to make money. Like, let's be honest about it. Let's not BS people and say, we are in this so that we can change lives. That could be a cynics way of looking at it what I'm hearing from you is there's nothing wrong with saying, yeah, we are in this to make money. And one of the best ways we can make money is to give people something that's inspiring and something that's motivating and something that's fulfilling and something that's impactful. And so somehow we've gotten into this world where we have to put performance on one side and purpose on another. And if I'm hearing you, it's like, no, 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 those are linked. The more purpose-driven someone is, the more performance-driven they're going to be. And perhaps if you just have one of those, to your point, you're leaving hundreds of millions of dollars on the table. Because if you're just focused on performance, eventually people are going to get burned out. They're not going to want to perform. They're going to walk away. They're going to be seeking and searching for something that fills them up. And if you're just focusing, by the way, on um, purpose and fulfillment, and by the way, you can do that like I've worked with nonprofits, I'm sure you've worked with nonprofits. If they're just focused on purpose, mm-hmm. they miss the business side of our world, our society mm-hmm. and the tactics yes. that you need and the strategy that you mm-hmm. need to survive. And that's why we see nonprofits go defunct all the time. And, and so I think so much of our world now has gotten into thinking about things as black or white. And we hear it in our politics. We hear it in the way we think about sports. We hear it's either good or bad. And the more that I hear you, it's like, wait a second, these things are linked. They can support each other. And rather than just say, we are just focused on the bottom line or we're just focused on our purpose, let's make sure that these are actually woven together and intersecting and moving with each other. And that's what will drive our enterprise going forward.
0: Yes. I mean, I just agree with everything you're sharing. I think it's this piece where we know the best executives out there, top 9% of executives are, they've mastered the tactical elements like best in class business execution, but they've also mastered the relational elements of executive leadership, right? Which is how you motivate at the individual team and enterprise level. And when those two things come together, you go from, this operator mindset to this true enterprise executive mindset, which is my job when I walk in every single day, yes, is to check the box and make sure operations is running flawlessly. But then my role as a CEO is I also have to think about that enterprise as far as, so where are we in our agility, in our innovation, in our resilience, in our collaboration, to make sure i'm staying ahead of the curve i mean business dynamics are the most dynamic they've ever been um you know and there it's uh volatility's uh, only going to increase it's not going to decrease like those days are over and so you have to have agility and resilience and innovation in an organization i'm just going to be honest most executives have never learned how to bring large groups of people into an organization in a structured way, to where they can get inspired and drive it effectively and efficiently, to where the CEO or the private equity company feels like they can lean back and let the larger masses drive the company forward. So we talked, Brian. We talked about um, the the family owned uh, business owner having to make a decision: like, do I want to be at the center of this, or do I actually want to create an enterprise? Private equity also has a decision, like, are we going to control through the operator or is our role of the operator to engage the greatest performance possible within the organization? So it's agile and innovative and we're getting the most value add out of our investment possible. And so if it's the operator is going to control it and it's going to run through the operator, that's great. You're gonna you're gonna maintain the value you've created and you're gonna do some bolt-ons. That's that's great. That is not maximum return. Um, and you can do both. And the other thing, Brian, that's important for private equity to understand, and we've seen it and it's been proven uh through our work, is that. It might take you four years to achieve your objective in private equity before you get to make the turn or sometimes longer now because of debt and deals and all of those things. We've had lots of clients who their deals have fallen through um, that we've talked to. What if you could deliver four years of value creation in three years? And you got through this enterprise model and you got an extra year of growth and revenue that then you could apply a multiple to. Right? That was the theory uh, around Transcend over 20 years when we started working with these clients and customers. They'd be like, man, we would have never got here this fast if we wouldn't have invested this way. So from a private equity fund, imagine if your 20 companies in your fund achieve four years results within three. What's the multiplier of that? Like Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars.
1: It's interesting you're saying it would actually go quicker if you invest in developing people and you invest in focusing on the enterprise because we were talking about sports and you you mentioned football. Yeah, the Detroit Lions, it it was a painful process. Even the 49ers who are now in the Super Bowl, Mm -hmm. people forget Kyle Shanahan's first (laughs) year, he was six and 10. His second year, he was four and 12. There was a lot of pain that took place for those first two years, both of those teams. Even the Kansas City Chiefs before these Mahomes years had like some really down years. Even before that, it was before Alex Smith, they were they were terrible. And so there is like this um pain piece. And it's interesting that you're saying, actually, if we focus on our vision and our strategy and and our enterprise and our culture and where we're trying to go, and then we implement some development and some learning and some training to make sure that our people are aligned, it's actually going to make your success happen quicker rather than longer. Is that, is that what you're saying in your experience is that it's actually by focusing on those things the turnaround or the growth occurs faster? Because I would think it's, it's the Philadelphia 76ers way of trust the process. We're going to suck for a lot of years. Um, and then it's going to turn. And I'll use the NBA, like the Oklahoma City Thunder have practiced this. And I think they're a year early to their plan. Last year, they made the playoffs. This year, they're probably contending. And I think they are earlier than if you had asked Sam Presty, the general manager, as to when they're going to arrive. I think he would say this is actually earlier than we expected. Is there something to that that we actually think that it's going to take such a long time, but it actually takes less time than perhaps we envision?
0: Yes, 100%. Um, managing the tactics is by far going to take you way longer to get there than if you start thinking about an enterprise dynamic and how that enterprise dynamic can accelerate growth. And part of the reason is like in the organizations we step into and we work with, um, part of an enterprise is like taking individual powerful individuals and teams out of the center and putting the enterprise in the center with a comprehensive enterprise strategy that everybody's aligned to. That process automatically eliminates a whole bunch of things that you've already been doing that are no longer important. And it doubles down on the things that are gonna be important for the future. And we've all agreed on that. And so now our job as teams and individuals is to go execute upon this master plan. Um, when you are in the day to day, in in organizations that don't have an enterprise focus, when they're in the day to day and they're just leading day to day, you have scope creep all the time. Uh, so this process that we talk about is eliminating scope creep, driving focus, increasing purpose, and engaging people across the organization in what matters most. So it is faster. Um, now, is it scarier? A hundred percent, because you're engaging large parts of the organization and empowering large parts of the organization to help crystallize the future of the organization. And most CEOs and executives have never done that because they're using antiquated leadership practices. Um, and it feels risky. Yeah, it's to be probably painful,
1: right, Craig? It's probably, hey, let's go look at what we're doing wrong. Uh, toward the enterprise. Let's let's look at our warts. Let's go look at where we're mm-hmm. failing and where we are struggling. And we had Amy Edmondson on the podcast who wrote the did all the research on psychological safety and has since written amazing books. And she is very clear on this. And I think this gets lost in her message, which is she said the most successful organizations value psychological safety. But more than that, it's not that they fail fast. It's not that they fail more. It's that they're willing to admit their failures and look at their failures and grow from their failures. And I would imagine if you take an enterprise approach, you're going to say, hey, what are we doing really well? And what are we struggling with? And what? how do we change? How are those struggles impacting our enterprise? And what are they doing to our enterprise? And then you have to try to figure out solutions to that. But the one thing you said that's resonating with me is, if we're focused on the enterprise and we know where our North star is, then the clarity of decision-making becomes a lot, lot cleaner and clearer for people rather than them fighting for theirs and focusing on their own turf. And we see that in organizations all the time, the sales team and the customer service team, they're beefing Mm -hmm. because they're incentivized here and they're incentivized there. And neither of them are necessarily putting the enterprise first. So all of a sudden What do we do in this situation? Well, what's best for the enterprise if we create clarity around that and then create systems and processes and ways of thinking about it, then the decision-making becomes less about turf and more about the enterprise.
0: Absolutely. And you're creating common language uh, and common practice, right? And so when people are operating from the same playbook, they perform better. Um, And one playbook, not 40 playbooks. Now you can take that one playbook and you can differentiate it within the organization by what people are doing specifically, but it's one playbook. Hmm. Um, And that one playbook is what allows you to make really good investments and really good decisions to accelerate growth. All
1: right, Craig. So you're in Washington State. I'm in Washington, D.C. So we're (laughs) 3,000 plus miles away from each other, but we share something in common in that, We live in the United States of America. And we've talked a lot about business. And we're not going to do a deep dive into politics, but as you're talking, I've got Donald Trump in my head saying, put America first, put this enterprise first, and then let's figure everything out. I don't think I have to giantly leap, take a giant leap to say, like, hey man, that guy might have might think he's putting America first. But there's a divisiveness that is going on that he is helping to uh spin out for for our country, and let's put the business stuff on the shelf and let's try to figure out what our country needs. And, uh, like, this is probably a whole nother podcast and we're doing this at the end, but I couldn't help, but not bring it up because you mentioned four. you got four years, I like, go oh, four years. Now you got me thinking about, uh, uh yes. like the, yes. the presidency and how do we do this? And three, like, what would it look like for Joe Biden to be really like finishing up right now and have our country headed in the right direction from an enterprise standpoint and whatever people think of Biden or Trump or Obama or Bush or whoever you like or voted for I, to me it doesn't really matter for the sake of this conversation but let's just use the president of the United States like and let's say you are brought in and you get to visit me in Washington DC often and you get to help them set you know a strategy for the future which you know presidents they have to put out their first hundred days and they have to say here's my plan for the first hundred days right and so there is strategy that's involved and then it seems like after year one they're starting to run for re-election again, or there's this tactical component that they get sucked into. Let's use a lot of your frameworks and ideas to create, all right, what would it look like for America and our politicians to be enterprise, team, and individual? Because to me, I think they actually are. Like, they think, all right, I'm putting the country first in their own way, and then they're focused on their team, which is Democrat or Republican. And then, I see now, this is where the framework... I actually think now that I'm saying it out loud, they don't. They focus on the individual, then the team, then the enterprise. And now I think I just answered my own question. There's (laughs) a huge issue with our political system because the individuals are incentivized to get reelected and, and they are incentivized to do whatever it takes to get elected. And if that means tearing down the other side, it means tearing down the other side. Mm-hmm. Then they go to the team. I need to feed the Democrat or the Republican, depending on what party I'm in. Then I can care about the enterprise. So in a if we flip that, I would imagine that's where you would go. But maybe I just answered the question without giving you space to to go into it. But how would you approach solving our democracy and making sure America is actually in a better place tomorrow than it is today?
0: Yeah, no, I think um I think you. You hit the nail on the head there. Um, After January 6th, um, I just could not sleep based on what I was watching, right? And so I wrote an article about failed leadership and it wasn't about failed leadership on the Democrat side or or the Republican side. It's just failed leadership because people were thinking of individual or party over democracy, the constitution, um, the vision of what america could be you know one of the greatest nations you know on the globe that um sets the stage for for what it means for humanity but also government um and also capitalism right and you can turn on the news every single day you're not hearing that story you're hearing the party story or right now like in the republican primaries and things along those lines, you're hearing the individual story. Um, And so we have, we have a huge problem uh, because we've lost sight of what made us great to begin with, which was the potential uh, of our country and sacrificing for the potential of our country uh, over party uh, and over individual. Now we've seen some unbelievably create courageous acts from some politicians who were sacrificing for country over party and their parties removed them. Right. And you're starting to see this attrition of politicians, um, who are finding it difficult to advocate on behalf of the country versus party or individuals. And so you'll see the same thing in companies, right? Uh, large rates of attrition when companies are driven by individuals or teams more than an enterprise. Uh, and it's 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 not a mystery the problem that we're having. Uh, it's really clear. The what is a mystery is how do you change the dynamics that got the system to where it is today right that's that's where the work needs to take place um and that's actually beyond party um and that's beyond individual it's people saying like we got to make unbelievable sacrifices for our country right now and change the way we're doing things to preserve what matters most freedom and democracy
1: And it's actually a nice way to close because I felt like there were times in this conversation that if someone's listening to this and they're not in the business world, perhaps it's going over their head. But if you live in our country or there are people that actually don't live in this country that listen to this podcast, which still blows my mind. But according to my little map and demographics that I can look (laughs) up, I can see you in all these different places around the world. And look, if you travel around the world, you know, that even if, you want to escape American politics, go to another country and talk to the people and you're not escaping it because we influence the world. And this enterprise has a impact and a dent and an influence on the rest of the world. And we should never forget that or take that lightly. And it's fascinating because I've been thinking a lot about just our country and what makes our country great. And I think there's a misconception that it's about individualism and it's about, you know, going for it and getting yours and making things happen for yourself. If you study greatness in our society, it almost always is collaborative. And Mm -hmm. the white picket fence and the big house, nice car, it's really not what makes America. Yes, there are opportunities here that don't exist in other countries. And yes, there are people that have done amazing sort of rags to riches stories. But if you listen to those people, they will talk about others that helped them get to where they are today, Listen to the Emmys or the Grammys or any sports award show, they're always thanking all the people that helped them get to where they want to go. So we think it's the individual that's built this country, but it's not. And of course, there's been atrocities and inequities and slavery that also helped build this country. And so um I think going forward, if we were to set the future, it's like, how can we continue to be collaborative? And you are making me think more about not just collaborative in terms of our insular community uh, or our home or our neighborhood, but how can we do our part in, for the sake of the enterprise, which is the entire country. And if we could get back into that, I think people would feel more connected to this country. They would feel more proud to be American and they would have a sense of belonging and a feeling that they could actually make an impact. And I think a lot of people don't feel that way and feel a little little helpless and hopeless and apathetic, uh, especially coming with this next election. I think a lot of people are looking at our, our options and not excited about either. Uh, especially people that are young and looking at how are these people going to really shape the future of the next 20 years when they're not even going to be here for it. And I think it is a massive challenge that we have to figure out. And I don't claim to know, or, or really like, I don't really have that much energy to go figure it out. (laughs) I don't, Uh, When it comes to politics, I'm getting to that point right now where it's like, hey, man, neither of these options are going to be particularly good. Let's just take care of my family. I'm going (laughs) to the individual, right? Let's just take care of my team. Um, And so,
0: yeah. Yeah, I I was just going to share, like, I mean, you make a great point. Like, America, Americans are known as individualistic, right, overseas and and things along those lines. Um, That's not what brought people on the boats or to America, right? uh, People came because they had opportunity through equality. Now, somehow we've lost opportunity through equality to this thing around success and success is not purpose and success is also not necessarily equality but the foundation of our country that brought people here were these notions of freedom, opportunity, equality, democracy, right? And those were the catalysts that helped this country take hold. Now, because of opportunity, we have all different types of success and things along those lines. That's not what's going to bring us back together. It's the origin of the story, right of opportunity and equality and freedom and democracy uh, are the things that made this country great uh, now success is a byproduct and success is phenomenal you know I, we help people achieve success every single day but we also help them achieve a greater purpose uh, and i think that's that's the whole point of today's conversation with you it's like what is the bigger meaning that allows us to drive greater success and greater opportunity and equality for everyone in the business market, um, as well with this, within this country.
1: That's a beautiful place for us to stop. Craig, if people want to find more, find out more about transcend about yourself, I know you're on LinkedIn, uh, give us the website. Where can people find transcend? Where can they find you? Uh, and just share whatever else you want to promote
0: yeah for sure, for sure, you know you know, come and visit us at transcendbusiness.com um, and uh, schedule up a connection with with any of our coaches um, or myself to to learn more about how we drive performance in companies and across the executive lifestyle. and obviously on LinkedIn, you can find us at transcend as well, or come to my personal LinkedIn at Craig Wiley.
1: Craig and I were talking before we started recording about our voices, and Craig was sort of complimenting me on my voice, but you got a great voice. For radio <laughs> podcasting or whatever it is, we're not gonna broadcast the video form of this to spare everybody from our beards and our <laughs> preceding preceding hairlines. But uh if you want to learn more about myself, I'm at Brian Levinson on Twitter and LinkedIn. And then uh over you can over at our website strongskills.co slash podcast is where you can listen to all of our conversations. I always laugh when i say twitter because i guess i'm supposed to say x and i just <laughs> it just doesn't flow so i say twitter and i hope people can find that craig this has been a blast i deeply appreciate you you are always generous with your time i always learn something from our conversations and you really have me thinking about how i can best serve the people that i work with and the people that are around me and i hope we are all leaving here thinking about what we can do to contribute to something bigger than ourselves and i think Uh, That's something we're all seeking and searching for, and hopefully we can find meaning in going forward.
0: It's been an amazing way to start my day, Brian. Thank you so much for the opportunity uh, to be on your show, and I look forward to many more conversations. Thank you for listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson. Here is this week's episode gem. Uh, Typically what we see is strategy is something that sits on a shelf and it's dusty. Um, And it's something that's built by a very select few people. And then the executives that run business units are responsible to go talk about that and execute it. We think that is um, uh, the history of business. We think progressive business actually engages robust dialogue across lots of levels of the organization to build the future of the organization. Because when that happens, then people want to collaborate and innovate and sacrifice because they help create the narrative. So when we think of culture, and we think of that thing. That thing is the enterprise um, actually driving the heartbeat of people in their daily work, but their longitudinal work as well.